You're listening to the Ones Ready Podcast, a team of Air Force Special Operators forged in combat with over 70 years of combined operational experience, as well as a decade of selection instructor experience. If you're tired of settling and you want to do something you truly believe in, you're in the right place. Now here's your host, PJ team leader, jujitsu lover, meme enthusiast, and dad joke aficionado, Aaron Love. We're keeping the street going for the worst claps of all time. Welcome back, everybody, to the team room. It is us. It's just Peaches and myself. Brian is busy with his head down at OTS. Trent is off doing whatever it is that Trent does. I don't even know. Half the time, it's hard to wrangle that guy as it is. But, you know, sometimes he just disappears, and that's what SR does. So don't get mad at it. Just just miss him when he's gone and be glad when he's back. We want to say thanks to everybody that follows, that likes us, that goes to the Instagram page. We just hit, we just hit 21K, baby. We're Insta-famous now. I don't know if you guys know this, but that's where you start to go ahead of everybody else in the line. You don't have to like wait on phone calls anymore. They're like, would you like to wait for customer service? And you're like, no, actually I actually have 21,000 followers on Instagram. And they're like, oh, okay, well then let me get somebody right now. So it's pretty good. But thanks to everybody that's, that's out there that likes, that follows, that hits us up in the comment section. Most importantly, the people that DM us that have our questions, that's why we're here. We're trying to engage with you to help set you up for success to help you earn each breath. So keep them coming. And anything as always that you got any questions, any uh, topics that you want us to cover, just hit us up, man. We're always here and we always get back to you right away. We would like to say thanks to one of our partners today. It's Cardomax. These guys produce some of the best nutrition supplements in the game. Every single morning, I have one of their immuno boosters that goes into my pre-morning shake. It's right back here in my sweet cardboard room that I live in. But the Immuno Booster helps me out. It's got a ton of vitamin C and other essential chemicals that you need to live your life in a non-sickly fashion. So check out Cardomax. They make energy intensifiers for your pre-workout needs. They make some rehydration drinks. They're awesome. So check out Cardomax. Use codes, uh, the code ONES READY. And that's for all of our partners. Remember, people that have been with us since the very beginning, we love uh, that they support us. So go support them and uh, help them to supplement their training. Every single uh, one of our partners, we use them. Uh, personally, and like I said, you can see my Cardomax stash right there. So with that out of the way, ladies and gentlemen, this week, Chief Master Sergeant Retired, Mr. Chad McCoy. Chad, what is up, my friend? How's it going, guys? Thanks for having me. Yeah, man. It's awesome to have you uh, sit down here in the team room. Uh, we've, we've known each other and crossed paths for a long time now. I think uh, I think we go back a couple decades at, at this point of, of crossing paths and knowing, knowing one another, but I don't want to over-talk it, man. So why don't you just tell us a little bit about yourself? Yeah, sure. So... Um... I just uh, popped my head up from living in Fort Bragg for the past 18 years. Um, uh, but before that, so I, I came in the military when I was 17. Um, I went to straight in to be a PJ, uh, which was which was kind of um, a kind of an anomaly for a skinny kid, you know, who didn't have a huge background as a football player, or wrestler, and all those things. I was unassuming, um, and I can go into that later, you know, because I know this is uh, this is a more of a preparatory for young guys. But um, yeah, finished the pipeline first try. I went to Nellis uh, Air Force Base there in Las Vegas. Um, it was called the 66 Rescue Squadron back then. It was all PJs. Yeah, and, you were still. Uh, yeah, 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 still living school. with the helicopters at that time, huh? Yeah. Yeah, I did my first deployment out there um, to I, or just north of Iraq and Turkey. It was called Operation Northern Watch, and so we were kind of we were watching the planes fly over, hoping one would eject and we could go save them. Um, we could become heroes. This is before the war, you know, so we didn't right. know what we were doing. And um, I had a, I had a, you know, I had a Gal five at the time with a two or three on the bottom. I had, I had so many magazines on me and rounds. If I fell in the ocean, they would never see me again. Um, but 
you know, I was kind of, I was playing war back then. I didn't know what I was doing. Um, I was disenfranchised in Vegas. I wanted to do more. So I, I got popped for an overseas assignment, took it gladly. And I went to Okinawa. Okinawa was a more mature team. Um, still it was the 33rd. It wasn't, it hadn't broken off yet. And, um, you know, then I was learning from like older guys. I was uh, getting into regs. Guys were saying, Hey, you know, be informed and, um, had mentorship for the first time. And, um, I matured there in Oki. Um, some that know me back then would say I immatured in Oki, but, uh, I deployed, you know, we would deploy it to, um, Korea and we do these alerts in Korea while the, uh, the fighters would fly over the DMZ and, you know, doing, doing sneaky mm -hmm. stuff over the, over the border. Um, had the opportunity to rescue a, a U-2 pilot out there that ejected right before a PCS, which is kind of cool. Oh, wow. It's kind of a, a weird thing that not a lot of people know about. Um, but we also did the Philippines. And so, you know, while everyone went to war after 9-11, um, we, were, we were in the Philippines just kind of pretending like we were at war too. We called it OEFP. I mean, that's what the, uh, the leadership called it. <laughs> okay. But it wasn't, it wasn't enduring freedom. I mean, we, we weren't... Um, exchanging fire with anybody. We were reading Stars and Stripes of the guys in Afghanistan. Um, I'll, I'll back up one second because I feel, feel like it's a good time to say it though. But when 9-11 happened, uh, myself and Nick McCaskill, um, old Chief McCaskill, who ended up, uh, he was killed in Afghanistan years later. Um, we watched the World Trade Center's fall. We were having a typhoon party in his house. His family had gone to the mainland and him and I were together sitting there and we we're drinking these things called white dogs. And um, we were we watched the world trade centers fall and, and I remember his phone rang cause he was at three twentieth. Mine didn't. Um, and you just kind of feel like, you know, where do I fit in the mix now? Everyone was super patriotic. It was a visceral event, obviously. And, um, so when that happened, I, I was committed to going overseas and fighting. So, um, I applied uh, in 2002, uh, to get to the, uh, the 24th STS. And so, um, for me, it was a roll of dice where I was going to go next, right? If I stayed in the Pacific, I wasn't going to go to Afghanistan. Um, but, you know, there was only a certain units that were really heavy in, in, in the mix overseas. And so I knew if I went to the 24th, it would be my golden ticket. And so I was young, yeah. inexperienced. Um, I didn't have any combat cred. Like a lot of the older guys were like guys that have been around for 10 years. I was a nobody. I was, I was 22 years old. Um, and I went for, for selection. Selection is very different, <laughs> very, very different. Plus, most of the unit was <laughs> yeah. That's... Most of the unit was deployed anyway, so there's no one there. Um, right. But you know, I was in great shape. I, you know, I was decent at medicine, um, and so I did really well in the section aspect of it. Um, but they used to have these things called murder boards, and the murder board was like all these guys on this board, all the senior guys, two chiefs. Uh, you had psych docs, you had commanders. I mean, just everyone's in there. And they would just, uh, they wouldn't emasculate you, but they they put you uh, in a position to um, really, you know, choke on your own tongue in these conversations. Sure. And I came in there and this young cocky kid, and uh, I told him, I said, hey, they're like, why you? And I said, um, well, if it's, not, if it's not me, I was like, I'll go find a way. And I said, I'll, I'll get out and I'll go contract. I'll go to Blackwater. A bunch of my friends had gone over there anyways. And I laid it out there and I, I was confident. I wasn't bluffing either. I was either you take me or I'm getting out. Um, and so I got picked up really early in my career. I, I came up there before I even started green team. Uh, I deployed to Afghanistan. They asked me, will you deploy? And I said, absolutely. 
I didn't have any gear. I was all coming from a slow boat from Oki. And they're like, well, get, we got you. They kitted me out. I left in a plane five days later. Um, and that's insane. Yeah, that is was, a crazy, that is a crazy idea. It was awesome. It was, it was the, yeah. uh, I was so happy to be on that plane. You know, I had my little scruffy beard growing in. I felt like an operator for once in my life. Um, I had a weapon that was spray painted. I thought I was the coolest kid in the block. Um, you made it. Yeah, that was I, I it. made it. You, you had yeah. arrived. And I didn't do anything on that deployment. We didn't do anything. Um, <laughs> <laughs> but it was exposure and it was kind of, it was a wake up call for me that, yeah, I was in, I was in the big leagues now, right? So they were, they're actually doing combat, actually had been in it. Um, and I was able to be around these guys. And so I was, I was, I was stoked. I was in my element. Um, so still talking about background. So I, I spent the next 18 plus years there. And so um, I spent my time as a, an operator on blue team, which was doing like the assault mission. We also had CSAR at the time that we were doing. So I would do a CSAR deployment and assault rotation. And so it was just back and forth. I was deploying twice a year uh, for three years straight because I was young and single and I didn't, you know, I didn't have any reason to stay home. I wanted to be deployed. So I would fly from Afghanistan to Iraq. Um, and I was in my element, you know, I, uh, was racking up my deployment days. Um, and then, then we, we teeter into the time where SOCOM was like, well, these guys have way too much purse tempo. And so they're mandating people come back from deployments. And I, I had, you know, cumulative TOI and deployed one year, um, the whole year. So I had, you know, I covered every, every white space, and I pinged on the radar of SOCOM. They're like, well, this guy can't do this anymore. So they bring me home. I don't get to train. Everyone's training. I have to do my first tempo time at home, which hurt me more than anybody. Um, so I did that. And then I went to uh, one of our low visibility squadrons for a long time. I did that for about seven years. Um, had some really formative experiences there. Um, some really cool stuff. But I went through another selection. Yeah, I went through another training period of like eight, nine, 10 months. And so I've done a lot of selections. I've done a lot of training um, successfully and have a ton of lessons learned that I'm, I hope that we can explore because we're going to kind of talk about big issues. But, you know, where does selection and training fit into that? So post that time, I did my, my ops time. I, I made rank. And so when you make rank, it's kind of like a horse when it um, breaks its ankle. You have to go put it in the field and shoot it. So they told me to shave my, shave my face, put a uniform on and go to ops and I was going to be Oh, the, the death <laughs> that, that young man with that painted rifle. So hopeful. Yeah. And now like all they of your innocence is stripped away. Yeah, they did. Yeah. It was terrible. <laughs> so, um, I, I remember, uh, the chief at the time when I came up to the, you know, the OSS, the ops section, I had a multi-cam uniform on and I didn't know which side my name tapes went on. Here's, I was a senior master and I had the wrong American flag patch. It was like a green American flag patch. I think I had like a team patch on this side. And it was like the music stopped in a club and um, I smile. I'm like, they're like, you got the wrong undershirt on your boots aren't blouse. And I'm like, man, I am really screwing this up. Let me, let me take a time out. Let me go back, fix this. I'll come back. <laughs> let me take a knee face <laughs> out. I'm going to pull some security. I'm going to collect yeah. myself. Let me try this over again. That's right. I had an existential crisis while I was in ops. I was like, what do I want to do with my life? Is this what I want to do? Um, and I think people saw me struggling with that. And, uh, and then this great position opened up to run our selection training. So, and it was bigger than just selection training. It was support, it was operators, it was uh, professional development. It was all these things. And 
man, it was the greatest experience in my career. And so I, I took over from a great uh, chief who's still in. Um, him and I had a great time, kind of left seat, right seat together. I didn't have an officer in charge at the time. So I, I kind of had, um, had a lot of latitude to do things. Um, and then I was asked to go to the 24th uh, as the chief. And so when I came there in 2003 as a young man, uh, I was a staff sergeant, never in my wildest dreams to ever, I, like I didn't plan my career to go there. They asked me to do it, I did it. And so I went to the 24th um, as the chief there and uh, just recently retired. So now I'm a dirty civilian. Um, I think I've put my military career kind of in the closet a little bit and said, I'm gonna move forward. I don't think I'm having the same toil that a lot of guys have, at least not yet, um, but staying connected helps with that. So this is healthy for me to kind of uh, readdress some of the things that I really care about and I'm passionate about. and. Um, you know, hopefully impart some wisdom uh, to the next generation because they've got a heavy lift ahead of them, man. I'll stop there. Yeah, they, they definitely have a, a heavy lift and, and that's kind of part of the, a lot of the discussion. So before I get to that, like if, if we don't cover anything in this that, that you want to hit, like by all means, like just inject it. We can 100%, it's our podcast. We can go on tangents yeah. as much as we want. We don't have to, you know, right. like, there's no structure to this, so go go right in. That and we're stupid, man. Like, yeah. I, I think we I think we covered this, but we're really dumb and we get distracted. Yeah, <laughs> we'll just start talking about this, especially especially peaches and I. It's like we'll see a squirrel and we'll we'll follow you know yep. squirrels down rabbit trails and stuff. So well, I would feel, feel more free. comfortable, Aaron, if you put on your K-pot and your flak vest right now. Um, I, I don't know why he doesn't. I don't know why he doesn't have it on actually. I got, I got my Glock. I got my angry octopus right here. Yeah, so that's man. like that's the, the octopus that's up here. If it's got the mad face on, that's what kind of day I'm having. So man, it's, it's all good. I'm, I'm all ready for it. So I live in Florida. So I don't know. Maybe I should be wearing body armor. I thought I was going to see, you know, people on bath salts walking down the street like zombies. I haven't seen any of that yet. So that's so 2011. <laughs> that's so 2011. I, you know, bath salts. I didn't know what bath salts were. I thought it was actual bath salts. Like you can smoke the Epsom salts. What, what does that do? I was like, Oh uh, my You dude. can smoke you, anything. Uh, <laughs> I know you can yeah. smoke. Yeah. 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 <laughs> you can smoke anything if you're brave enough. Yeah. <laughs> so again, tangents. Wow. Um, yeah. <laughs> so as we, um, as we're talking about, you know, the people that are going to be coming in and, and actually people that are, are currently in, you know, Afghanistan at, at this point of the recording, you know, Afghanistan is pretty much shut down. Um, for if you've been following the news at all, so it's a pretty historic moment. It's it's really wild. It's something that we address quite common at the squadrons. But um, so the big question is: is what does the future fight actually look like? And you know, you have a, a very uh, interesting perspective considering you know where you left and retired out of. So, in your opinion, what does the future fight look like? Yeah, so this is everyone's kind of uh, big question, right? Senior leaders, everybody. Um, so a few years back, you know, the, the Pacific was on our radar. You know, there was things going on in the Pacific. Uh, candidly, a lot of it was VEO related, it was CT related, but it, it didn't rank, you know, it didn't rank against, um, you know, our focus area of the Middle East. And, um, and the Middle East was an existential threat to the United States, you know, for a period of time. Uh, I think it's arguable now if it is anymore. Um, but, you know, the, the Pacific was always kind of a burgeoning operational environment. Um, so aside from the VEO threat in the Pacific, now you look at 
you know, near peer competition with China and, and, and also, you know, go to the other side of the, the, the world and, and Russia. And then, you know, you have North Korea, like still Pacific. And so these kind of things that are bubbling up and um, a lot of it's, you know, diplomatic, a lot of it's economic, right? But there's a military aspect to it. But I, I think it's easy to say, hey, major combat operations. Like if you guys remember, it was, I think it was three years ago when everyone thought we we're going to war with North, North Korea. Like all the units were getting ready. Everyone's you know, oh, yeah. getting yeah. the chem bio, you know, cleaned off, learning how to put their gas mask on. And for our guys, it was learn how to operate in that environment for a long period of time, you know, with rebreathers on and not rebreathers, but uh, SCVAs um, and and doing the hard stuff, man, that's when being an operator is hard, right? In the water, it's hard. Chem bio, it's hard. Everything, I mean, if you're in the desert and it's wide open, it's, you know, you got cast overhead. It's, you got everything. <laughs> Anything's easy with cast. Uh, when, when <laughs> that's right, man, that's right. Um, but when, um, you know, you're sweating your, sweating your butt off, you know, your, your chem suit is filled up, you know, to your ankles with sweat uh, and you're still expected to perform, you know, at, you know, at this level, uh, it was a tall order for us. So we were kind of jumping through our butts, you know, to figure that out. So all that to say, the Pacific was still looming, right? That kind of subsided. China was still balling, man. China was still working, you know, they were working at different angles. They're all over Africa. They're, they're in the Middle East. They're everywhere. Um, a lot of it was, you know, uh, mining uh, and exploration. And, you know, like I said, on the that economic front, which they did a really good job at. Um, kind of positioning themselves in the world. Um, and then you saw the, you know, the things on the military side, you know, them building islands and, and kind of be a little bit more aggressive. So all that to say, like, I'm not a, I'm not a senior leader in the military. I'm not a strategist. I read the news. Uh, I think I'm somewhat informed, but the question is, what do I think the operational landscape would be? I, th I think that's kind of what you're asking. Um, I think it's proxy wars. And I think that it's, uh, you know, guys, you know, being, uh, tied in with partner forces. Um, I think it's going to be, um, you know, these one-offs in, you know, maybe in North Africa, maybe Central Africa. Uh, I think it's going to be um, a lot of the, the human aspect of things. And then we have to embrace the EW side, uh, the electronic warfare side and signals intelligence and just kind of the new spectrum of what tech's going to mean to warfare. So anyone can shoot a gun you could teach anyone to shoot a gun. There's lots of people that can lift heavy things. The things that differentiate you and make you special are, in my opinion, uh, are the things that um, are the distinguishing factors, right? So if I'm a PJ, uh, I can do a lot. Like I can do rescue, I can do all the employment options, medicine. Uh, and then once you have that framework, you can keep building on it, right? Uh, controllers, you know, controllers really are supposed to be doing, you know, LZ work, doing the, all, all the austere LZ and ATC. We built them out over the past few years to be JTACs and be really good at it. On top of that, we're asking them to fly SUAS, you know, or sorry, I'll stop using acronyms, but uh, UAVs, <laughs> still use an acronym. Uh, yeah. <laughs> but, um, Drones. You really clean that yeah. one up. <laughs> um, so those are the things that differentiated folks, right? Uh, but the the concept of a soft generalist, man, like those are a plenty. And and I don't want to go too far off on tangent here, but I feel like it's kind of important. Um, if you look at SOCOM writ large, and I know you had Greg Smith on here, SOCOM is what seventy thousand. Uh, yeah, you look at how many. Yeah, you look at how many active duty. I'm sorry, not active duty, but actual special forces operators are. 
I think it's like uh, close to fourteen thousand total. I could be. Yeah, off. it's, a, it's, it's a it's a pretty it's a pretty small percentage, and then it's even less once you talk about the actual operators that are at the SOCOM headquarters level. Yeah, and, and I'm talking I'm talking just uh, you know tab warriors. You go to PJ's controllers, it's, it's pretty small, right? But seals, I think they're they fluctuate. I think like four thousand or something like that. Um, I think my numbers are way off. Probably someone will, will check me on it, but. What I'm trying to say is that when do you stop being a soft generalist? Like, when are you conventional forces? And I ask this question to a lot of soft guys. I'm like, when do we cease being soft? Like, what makes us special? Uh, it used to be mission, it used to be size, it used to be you know budget, access, all these different things that kind of go into the the calculus. Um, but to dif differentiate yourself from that soft generalist that teeters on you know the side of conventional. You really need to bring something to the table, and I think um, in the future fight, a lot of that's going to be, you know, um, the technical aspect of what we do, and being able to embrace that and, and run with it. Um, and also, and I'll stop after this, but also it's embracing ambiguity. And so, um, not a lot of people are comfortable with that because we've been operating in an environment where chow chow is right out your door, right? Logistics chain is done. You're living on MSS. You have all the infrastructure. You have bathrooms. Um, you have mission given to you, you know, you have very clear intent. The future is not going to be like that. It's going to be small teams of guys trying to figure it out. And in the, you know, in my days doing the kind of the low vis stuff, um, that that's not an innate quality. Not everyone has that. And, uh, and also all the experience is gone because all the guys that are at war doing that, you know, are going to get older and, and they're going to, they're going to leave. Like, you know, Aaron, you're going to retire eventually. And all that experience is gone. And so, you know, Afghanistan's winding down to 600 people to, to you know, basically protect the diplomatic mission there. Um, th those were our lessons learned, man. And they're going to be, you know, those are fleeting. So I'll say. No, they absolutely are. And, you know, you, you hear those terms like near peer and that kind of stuff thrown out, you know, all the time. And, and nobody really takes the time to kind of define it. We know, you know, at a glance, like, okay, near peer is somebody who is, who is like us, but no one's really like us, just like no one's really like China or Russia or any of those other, you know, big powers. So it's, it's definitely not an easy fight. And I, I agree with you. I think it's going to be proxy wars and the, the terrain that we're going to be operating in is not, um, you know, whether it's, metaphorically or whether it's actual terrain it will not be like what we have been operating in in afghanistan iraq and stuff like that it's it's definitely going to be more digitally based um probably less in your face conflict direct action type stuff um that's just i mean me, me yeah speaking and everyone's out loud, talking though. autonomy everyone's talking yeah everyone everyone's talking about ai machine learning and those are things that are going to be in the, they're going to be in the conversation. Where do they fit? I mean, that's a whole other conversation we could have of you know, ethics and all those things, which I would love to talk about. But right now, just stay on track is, uh, you know, the, the way I define near peer and, and for the, you know, the young guys listen to this, they're going to come up and, and replace all of us is that we haven't fought enemies. I mean, we've, we touched on it in Syria, but like MVGs, body armor, uh, same GPS systems, their own satellites that are dedicated to them. You know, they can GPS jam, they can signals jam, they can signals DF. Like we're gonna we're gonna face an adversary that is gonna make us fight harder than we ever fought before. 
And so guys are like, wow, we're ready. You know, we're, we're Americans, we're big badasses. I'm like, yeah, we are, but we've also been fighting cavemen. You know what I mean? And we still had, they put up a good fight, man. Like we lost a lot of, a lot of brothers in these fights to dudes that didn't have MVGs. Um, they were shooting RPGs at us, you know, and, um, you know, having to go to, to you know, um, you know, the V-bids are going on Syria and all the, you know, hodgepodge armor they're making. And you're like, man, we're not fighting refined capability. Um, we've had air supremacy, um, I believe it since, uh, Vietnam, right? I mean, no one's yeah, been able to a long since time the, <laughs> since the aircraft was. Maybe it's invented, Korea. I think. I think, you know. Yeah, but I mean, so are we going to have that? You know, and so that's to me, that's the definition. And you know, I don't know if our the past twenty years those guys were any better than the you know the guys coming up behind us. But the guys coming up behind us better figure it out fast because, like I said, it's going to be a um, it's going to be a very capable adversary that is going to require you know that that edge and so our edge in the past has been candidly i mean i think anyone who's been to combat would say this it's been aircraft supporting us right it's been close air support it's been ac-130 saving our our, our butts uh, oh, it's yeah. a-10s that are, that are willing to fly 100 feet off the deck um yeah i mean so that was our edge right so what's the edge in the future uh you know i think the edge in the future is guys being able to take all this information that's going to be coming their way and make sense of it and use it as a as a strength um i watch guys now walking around with you know atac devices and they're they're connected everyone's got the mesh network going so i mean they they have that connectivity but we also lose situational awareness when we have that right because now we're hyper focused on all of the input and output that we're we're pushing through the, you know digitally uh that potentially we don't have the situational awareness around us and so the ask is is that this next generation of guys be able to do both you know and maybe video games will help them. Maybe maybe the kids that are gaming hard. My my son's down there playing Fortnite down, downstairs right now. So uh, maybe <laughs> right he's the now, future. <laughs> well, he is the future. That's the thing. It's I mean they're yeah, they're right. able to multitask. You know they're digital natives. They're they're at a level that the three of us could never even dream to be at. And they do it. Say it, peaches. Stay these damn millennials, or I swear yeah. I'm getting off this. They're not right millennials. Now. They're Gen Zs. <laughs> they are Gen Zs. I know. I think we're yeah, millennials, actually. Where are you born, man? Hold on. I'm going to run the, I am, run the Yeah, no, 1980, I was I'm, uh, on that cusp. Yeah. yeah. I, I am it. one of those damn millennials. Right. Now. <laughs> as long as you get yeah, off man. my lawn, that's all I care about. <laughs> so what is the funny, other... Though, is, uh, the, the millennial conversation come, came up a lot when I was, um, you know... A, a, a chief at the 24th because all these leaders are like well it's next generation or um I, the conversation came up a lot you know are they are they softer and like like we had to analyze that but when i was running selection and training um these guys are hard as hard as nails man like these guys are just as hard as anybody else but the the approach has got to be different with them and so i found that my generation our generation you know you could yell at me and, and treat me like a dog and I would just keep going, man. Like keep wagging my tail, right. you know. Yeah, you guys, oh, now you, fine. You, yeah, any attention, <laughs> any attention is good attention, even yeah. if you're mean to me. I'm like, okay, cool. Well, hey, that guy, that that's guy's right. talking to me. How cool? Maybe, hey, maybe he'll be nice to me later. Yeah. So these guys now expect, <laughs> they expect to be in the conversation. They expect to understand the why. There, it's some people would say it's a sense of entitlement, but I think it's intellectual curiosity, right? I think there's a time and place for it for sure, and it's super annoying as a senior leader to have that, but. Um, you know, if you explain the why to these guys, man, they are just as good or better than anyone else. And so 
I, I don't subscribe to the logic that, you know, these guys are any less. I, I think, you know, candidly, they're just different. Um, they're getting way better training than we did. Yep. Our selection processes yep. are looking at things that we never looked at. We just looked at who was the toughest guy who could run the fastest mile, right? And it was so- Wait until the smoke clears, baby. Just punch yeah, him in the mouth every single right. day. Start at four in the morning. End by the time dinner's <laughs> over and just punch him in the mouth. And when the smoke clears, if somebody's there, great. That's who. That's how, that's how we were selected. That's, that's right. how we did it. That's not the best way to do it. And so were we the- the hardest, I don't know, but you know, that we definitely weren't, didn't have high IQ EQ in the mix as a, as a defining quality. I mean, we had tons of smart guys, but, um, sure. But as we, you know, as we kind of like strip, peel back the, the onion, the conversations always brought up, you know, well, how do we make the ideal operator? What are the guys we're selecting for? Um, and that's changed over the years, right? So back in the day when we we're selecting to come up to the, uh, to the unit at the two, four, like, um, it was a lot of the bias of you looking to find yourself and other people. Right. And so you had all of these, uh, you know, successful operators picking people that are just like them or people they wanted to hang out with. And what you had is you had, um, you know, you had basically a, uh, a mirror image of everybody, but we had a bunch of al alphas who were, you know, always in, in, uh, not in, always in conflict, but, um, you know, always, always at you know you can say always in conflict it's yeah, okay yeah, buddy you're I'm out to, you can say whatever yeah. you need to but yeah there was conflict you know and there definitely was a pecking order and now the team rooms are different right you have guys that um you have the 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 shy you know introvert who is just as successful as the boisterous you know beat your chest you know alpha in the room it's like man um we're looking at qualities we're looking at skills we're looking at what you bring to the table and um and, you know, then the old adage that like leaders are supposed to be this, you know, outgoing, um, you know, alpha, it's like, man, now nah, you don't need that to be successful. You seem to be able to connect people and you need to be able to lead effectively within all those different tenets of leadership. But, um, so we've, we've had this epiphany, you know, I guess that's what I'm trying to say in a long-winded way. We've had an epiphany uh, and we've realized that we can select for, you know, more targeted attributes. And so... I'll tie it back to the, the the first the first part of this conversation. You know, how do we select against people that are going to be successful within that ambiguity? And I think that's an important aspect. Well, you know, you you brought up a good point. The uh, the since we're talking about Gen Z, I mean, they they have uh, so many aspects that are phenomenal. I mean, a lot of these people they have grown up. You know, it, whether you believe in CrossFit or like it or not, like it's like some of these folks are at, at a physical level that. I have never been at, but so we're talking about great IQ, EQ, uh, extremely intelligent, but they ask the why and you, and you said that they, they want to know the why and then they'll keep going. So one of the things that you have to, uh, figure out in that ambiguity, you know, in environment, right. Or, um, is what does success look like? Like, how is it measured? So when we tying it back into near peer and the future fight, like what does being successful actually look like to you? So I, I think there's a, I mean, there's a million different angles you could look at success, but I think one aspect is resiliency. Um, I think it's one of those, uh, you know, it's kind of an innate quality, but it's also something that can be cultivated. Um, and resilience, it's a double-edged sword, right? Because you put all these mechanisms in place for resilience and then you become, it's like a, like a dramatic, you're like, well, now do I need, you know, soft tissue therapy because my back hurts or do you just take motion and keep going? 
um, it's this fine line, you know? And so I think resiliency mentally, physically, um, I think, uh, you know, the, the trainability aspect of folks is going to be a, a key, um, you know, a key attribute, um, but how do you, how do you measure success, man? Um, yeah, I mean, if you're looking at it from a strategic level, like senior leaders, how are they measuring success in a force? I mean, uh, I, I think they're just looking at numbers of folks that are online able to, you know, perform their job. And so uh, it's going to be a numbers game. And so resiliency plays into that. Uh, but the other factor is, um, is training, right? So our training is going to have to shift. Um, you know, the, the sprint that we've been doing over the past two decades to get ready for war, um, that's all we've known. And we're institutionalized into that system, right? And so it's gonna be really hard for senior leaders to be successful in transitioning those training programs to meet the needs of the future because you know, they're indoctrinated, right? They're institutionalized, I was. Um, and so you know, how do you do a hard, hard reset? Everyone's talking reset right now, but do a hard reset and, um, and, and, and really change the script and how we're, how we're approaching this stuff. So I'd, I'd have to, I'd have to ask you to tell me what, what avenue of success you, you want me to define. Cause I can go on tangents on either way and I won't say anything. So, <laughs> well, I just, I mean, it's like I said, it, I, I just think that that proves the point, right? Is that there's so many different, um, you know, measures of success. There's so many different goals. There's, there's competing interests from not only the U S the DOD department of state, like there's just, there's so many different um, avenues and end goals that it's hard to define. So people that aren't, you know, I can, I can pretend or I can say what success looks like to maybe um, special tactics, right? But that, that's it. I could, I could kind of guess what the Air Force's definition of success is. Then you got to go on to our sister services, Army, Navy, you know, what is SOCOM's? idea of success. So there's, there's so many different ones. Everybody's competing. Um, I, and it's kind of a, a BS question that I'm asking you in terms of how do you do define success? Because, you know, through your lens, you're looking at it through the organization that you left, you know, how do they define success? So uh, it was just something, a, a question yeah. to generate just kind, well, of, kind of conversation. I, I would say that, um, you know, on, so SF is going back to kind of their core, core mission, right? They're doing a lot more fit emphasis on that. They got rid of the SIFs just recently. Um, you know, the Navy is going back to maritime-based stuff, you know, kind of getting out of the sandbox and going back to some of those really exquisite platforms that they have. Uh, and then the Air Force is going through an inflection point too. And, you know, you'd be stupid not to recognize the fact that we're going through uh, a change. And in this whole time, when I say ST, I'm, I'm also including PJs at rescue side because I just look at the kind of the, you know, the, the special warfare uh, umbrella, right? Um, PJs and controllers are going to have to embrace that um, or get out of the way. And there has been a, a hesitancy to, to kind of um, to pivot from what we know or what we were trying to build to, uh, you know, capability wise. You know, I think, you know, controllers are probably feeling that there's going to be there's going to be less uh, JTACs in the team, right? That's just a reality. So do you embrace the airfield mission and, and what it really means to global access? Cause that's a cool mission, man. Like it's not sexy. Right. But we've defined, oh, yeah. we've defined the sexy as shoot, you know, shooting people in the face and doing all this stuff downrange. That's one aspect of warfare, right? 
the things that make you special, like we were talking about in the beginning, the things that dis are distinguishing factors are the reason I can take, you know, peaches and say, hey, go to this airfield, man, tell me if it's suitable and let's land a plane in the middle of the night and do some, you know, sketchy stuff, right? That's a, that's a distinguishing capability to take a, a PJ or two PJs and put them in an environment and say, fix all of our contingency problems. Like, what, you mean medicine? No, all of it, right? Now we're no, saying we have a refined right. capability that no one else can do. Um, and then the SR piece is growing. It's a really cool kind of new thing that's amorphous right now and it's growing into something. Um, it has potential to be distinguishing capability, not necessarily a one the same capability, right? And so if guys are willing to look at it and say, you know, how do I make myself uh, fit in this next fight? Uh, what do I need to change training-wise, mindset-wise? Are leaders going to empower them to do that? Or are they going to be stuck in the old ways, you know, like I was just saying about us? Um, like, like, let's do it, man. Like, there's a lot of room for growth. Um, but we have to be willing to kind of look past the past 20 years, which were a one-off. You know, hopefully that never happens in history again. They were just at continuous oh, yeah, right. like conflict forever and not having any strategic goals or just, hey, we'll just go fight for a little bit. Guys loved it because they were, you know, notching their belts, you know, with combat. But it's like, for what? Like, we leave Afghanistan. What happens to Afghanistan? I don't really care, honestly. Like, civil war? Who cares? <laughs> right. Yeah. We got civil war right. happening in the United States, man. Like, let's, uh, let's focus on things that we can control. And so, um, you know, these are, these are kind of big ideas, but... Um, but yeah, man, like I, I think those changes and those inflection points within soft specifically, um, you know, it, those are those are important to recognize that they're happening, whether you want them or not. So, yeah, well, and I, I heard a lot of things that I really like really connect with because it, it, for people out there that don't know, as soon as you hit in the operational community, when you hit like E7, they start issuing you catchphrases and then you have to develop catchphrases um, alone. Like you can't, you can't like something's coming my way here. <laughs> Exactly. It's coming. But, you know, one of those catchphrases that I've been using is like, you know, our career field, AFSPEC war as a whole, you, have to, you had better find something that only the Air Force can do, that we can do to the gold standard that we can get that SOCOM enterprise, or you're going to become irrelevant. And it's one of those things that we really have to focus on that global access mission, that contingency planning, that far forward cross-domain, intra-theater sort of competition, we need to make our home. But what that really means, we have to start looking for people that have the attributes, that have those things. That's why the whole, you know, people are hesitant to it because, you know, just like we said earlier on the podcast, you know, we, we are so used to this. Well, if it's not ridiculously hard and you're not just getting punched in the face every day and, and you know, that's not selection, you know, as we've moved towards those like attributes-based selection programs, that's probably, you know, arguably more important because of the way that we're going, because of those things that we're going to ask people to do, just like you said earlier, anybody can do basic tactics. Anybody can do cord on call out and direct action on a, on a compound. Listen, we got that. We can do that. We're not asking you to do that anymore. So when, when we start talking about technical competency, what are we looking for in the people that we're bringing into the air force to the people that we're talking now coming into spec spec war? What, what does technical competency actually mean to you? Like, how, how do you define technical competency? Because unless we define it, we don't know how to select for those people or, you know, yeah. for us, how to prepare them, how to give them what they need. But yeah, I think te technical competency um, comes part and parcel with uh, intellect, right? And trainability. And so before I go, 
Oh, no, I, want, I do want to touch, uh, you know, there's a, there's this kind of, you know, the physical attributes and the things that we expect of guys, and then these kind of amorphous attributes that we want, I think they have to be able to coexist and you still need hard dudes. You still need guys that can, will go run, run to the sound of gunfire that, that are hard, you know, hard as nails. And we want all these other attributes, but sometimes you can't have your cake and eat it too. You know what I mean? We all know the guy you know, who is, you know, 230, just jack and steal all day, dumb as a box of hammers. You need him. You know what I mean? Every team needs him. Um, but he's got a place. You know, you want the best of both worlds, right? You want the guy who's a, who's a stud and who's smart. Um, we want all these things. And we're, I, I think right now in selections, um, there's, there's like a, kind of this hyper focus on these attributes that are like, uh, you know, we want high EQ, like, okay, cool, man. Like, yeah, I want that. I want a guy to be able to, you know, handle himself in the team room and, and you know, behave appropriately. I want him to be able to connect to the people he's leading. I want all those things for sure. Um, but no kidding, what are we asking the people to do? And that's something that gets lost in these conversations about selection and attributes and all this stuff is that when it comes down to it, what are we actually paying you to do? All the other stuff is enhancing. Like if you're a controller, I need you to be able to jump out of an airplane, you know, static line with a bunch of, you know, hoes and take down an airfield and run ATC. And some of that's going to be really hard, right? That's going to be a long night. And uh, with PJs, I want you to be able to jump out into the middle of the ocean with huge waves over your head and save someone's life at the risk of yourself. Those are kind of like primal aspects, right, of our jobs. That's just doing hard stuff. So now we want those guys to be these, you know, what is, what is the term they use? It's like the, uh, uh, the warrior uh, diplomat or something. I've heard all these terms get thrown around within soft. And it's like, dude. Right, it's, yeah. uh, the nerds that won't quit. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, dude. Yeah. Is it real? I don't know. I mean, like we have them, but the standard. Um, so yeah, I want, I want to say this. So we talked, you asked the question about technical competencies. Um, I think we can get there with people if they're trainable, right? So in selection of the 24th, we looked at guys that are trainable um, because we wanted them to do, uh, you know, complex things under high stress. You know, can they learn from their mistakes and put into application the next run? Those guys are successful wherever they go because they can come into an environment and say, yeah, we need to go that direction. I'm going to create this widget. Yeah, we'll go. Um, so those are, they're, they're symbiotic, man. I just, that was a scissor I just did. Uh, unintentionally um <laughs> it was so good i'll tell you yeah, for everybody i'll watch youtube it's gonna go, you gotta yeah. you gotta go right now <laughs> the, the yeah. yeah that's right <laughs> synergy oh um yeah well it's synergy we're yeah. making we put white out on a b it died <laughs> but yeah man the, I, I think trainability intellect all those things are really important still need hard dudes um and i guess now in the conversation is gals too right but uh, yeah, that's for another podcast for you guys to have. I don't know if you guys have already thought about that, but uh, I mean, that's, oh, a, we, that's a reality. I've got to be honest. It's one of those. It's one of those questions that we just are so sick of answering because we always <laughs> have the same answer every single time. Yeah. I don't care. Do they meet the standard? Can we please quit talking don't about change it? The and just move on. Yeah, All right. Don't change the standard. All right. Cool. Exactly. Yeah. Well, and I hear a lot of what you're saying, and and I always say that we want mature problem solvers, and that's one of those attributes that we look for is is you know problem solving. What does problem solving mean to you? When I say I want you to look for problem solving in somebody, what does that mean to you? So I've got um, 17 combat deployments, right? Um, and within a lot of those deployments, um, you know, I did a lot of uh, you know, kind of non-traditional stuff. 
Um, I saw you guys had, you know, Terry Hewen on your, your podcast, like Terry and I deployed, you know, quite a bit together. Um, oh, nice. Yeah. So, you know, within that spectrum of things that have uh, undefined, um, you know, I find myself uh, problem, problem solving the aspect of, Hey, like we go in this area, uh, what do we need to be thinking about? And so I, you know, have to reverse plan everything as the PJ and, and um, figure out every contingency that people don't care about because you got a PJ and he's going to fix it. Right. Um, you know, so problem solving in the, what we call the AFO environment or OP environment. Right. So it's kind of like your onesies and twosies somewhere. Uh, everything's unscripted and undefined. You know, you have very limited resources. Um, in one of the regions I was operating in, uh, we had no Kazavac. And so I had to figure out how to get uh, some non-traditional aircraft to support me. And, you know, leadership was like, well, I'll use international ISOS or yeah, ISOS, international SOS. And uh, I'm like, they're not, I mean, what's the, what's the response times? Does this, does this meet your uh, criteria for risk mitigation as a senior leader? And a lot of it was out of sight, out of mind. So I just had to fix it. Right. So problem solving became, you know, me connecting with folks uh, with me doing a lot of stuff. I have dissimilar platforms um, and a lot of advocacy, you know, whether it be foreign, foreign partners, um, you know, foreign services, they were in, in theater doing sketchy stuff too. Uh, and so a lot of that was taking place. And so when I came out of that environment of a, a true problem solving environment that really it was, we had a lot of money to do a lot of different things. We had a lot of leeway and authorities. We didn't have a lot of oversight. And so it was a perfect kind of incubator for innovation and kind of new ideas and those things. But when I went to you know, the back to the teams that, you know, were leading the teams at the two, four, um, you know, that was still in my mind. That's still how I approached problems and it was different, you know, it wasn't as linear and that's annoying to some people. Um, but to some people it was like, okay, yeah, maybe we should start looking at this differently. And so I know that was kind of ambiguous answer to problem solving, but I can't give super specifics in, in kind of those realms, but, um, but yeah, that was kind of part and parcel with, with those mission sets. Yeah, that's like, you know, asking you to define, you know, what, how do you measure success? You know, like, how do you measure problem solving? How do you get better at problem solving? Like, that's one of the things that we, you know, because we always preach problem solving on the podcast. And um, we've gotten several questions like, okay, well, how can I help my problem solving? It's like, well, man, you just got to, <laughs> I don't know, you know, there, there's, there's yeah, ways that you can problem. do it, but you know, it's, it's critical. The thinking. only thing we're learning from this podcast is that our outline sucks and our questions need work. <laughs> that's what we're learning. Like, <laughs> no, how do I problem solve that? Man. I think it's important. It's important. How do I problem solve that? I mean, cause really as a young guy, if you're coming into this, um, you know, what am I getting into here? Um, and is, as long as you go in with your expectation management, like that the old CT VEO GWAT days are over. That was a lot of acronyms to say the counterterrorism fights is is dwindling, still exists, but we're going into this new world that is undefined. And it's unscripted. Um, if it goes to major combat operations and it's we're we're sending a million people over, you know, to fight the little green men, you know, that's that's a different conversation. That's very scripted and very linear. It's go fight, right? It's going to suck. We're going to lose a lot of people. On the other side, when we talk proxy, and we said proxy in the beginning, proxy wars, that's the unscripted stuff, right? That's when we have to be creative and, and kind of figure it out. And so as a young guy, if I went in with an older guy telling me that's my expectations, I wouldn't be surprised by it. And I wouldn't be complaining that I thought that I was going to be doing, you know, <laughs> assault in Iraq um, or, you know, mountain operations in Afghanistan. Like, 
those days are a chapter in our history, right? And it, I don't ever want to forget them. I never will forget them. But we have to look to the future. And if the guys come in with that expectation, that it's going to be different. Um, they won't get as disappointed because there's a lot of that going around too. There's a lot of guys in their first enlistments right now that are punching because they're disappointed because they wanted what my experience was. At these guys, I'm like, it's it's just different, man. It's not better or worse. It's different. But if you came in for that mission, that's where the disappointment sets in. And the guys that aren't able to embrace that and move forward are the guys that are, are, are really disappointed right now. There's a lot of that, man. And, and I feel for them because when I came to the 2-4, I saw the missions the guys were doing and I wanted to do that. And I got to do it, right? It was, it, it was very results-oriented. When I came home from those deployments, you could measure success, and I'll talk to the success piece, on the amount of missions you did. And, you know, did you do your job effectively? Did you, you know, jack anything up? It was very linear success for me. When I became more senior, success was defined differently, right? Um, and in the future, it's going to be it's going to be really hard to come home from a deployment and say, "Was I successful?" Like, I, you know, I didn't shoot anybody, I didn't save anybody, um, you know, I didn't cut someone out of an aircraft wreckage. Was I successful? And these are big. These are kind of big things that leaders need to think about how to articulate to their young guys. Um, how to celebrate, you know, what we define as success coming off the battlefield or, you know, within training and those things. Um, and not, not to handhold, not to like, you know, always be stroking their egos, but, um, but you know, we, we need to be able to measure that stuff as leaders and empower those guys to understand that. Otherwise, there's going to be a lot of disenfranchised people, man. And it's not just the Air Force. It's across the services. I mean, guys, you know, SF guys are coming oh, yeah. in and like, I don't want to do fit. I want to do direct action. Well, where do you want to do it at? Because we're not. Right. Where do you want to go, guy? <laughs> yeah. Well, I, you know, I've, I connect with that a lot because as we wind, you know, we're getting kind of close to the end of this trip and me as a senior leader, like I'm, I'm doing that, that admin stuff that happens at the end of it. And I'm, I'm really looking at this. I thought that my guys out here and I've told, I've told peaches cause he's obviously my chief back home, but I've told my, my friends, people that ask me, they're like, Hey man, how's this going? And they almost asked sarcastically and I'm dude I've got more work than I know what to do with I can't figure out how to get this done but it looks completely different you're right it's not I have x amount of saves I have five assists I've killed this many people by dropping bombs I've done this many missions we went out this many times a night it looks completely different and I'm feeling that pain kind of as one of the first guys that's went all the way through an AFSO 4 gen for this new mission and then you know luckily got a deployment doing the new mission that we're we're moving to here where I am and I, I gotta be honest with you like I man I I completely connect with what you're saying because having to communicate it to my guys and I've had a couple conversation with the guys here like hey I know you're kind of poo-poo about you think that you were going to do one thing and now we're doing this thing but let me tell you like what six looks like here because you guys have been crushing it and it's it's tough yeah. you're you're totally right and and the other other important aspect is like white space you know and guys aren't used to having it you know and you know we talk about mental health all the time and you know ops tempo what does that do to you um you know, I was in that churn or I just wanted more and more, you know, I would deploy tomorrow if they asked me to and nobody wants mm -hmm. me to. That's a, um, it's, it's a big but, thing though. You know, it's, it's, it's like, a, yeah, it's it a constant feed. You're like, Hey, this deployment, you're like, Oh, okay, cool. I'm on it. I'm on it. And you'll do it at the detriment of yourself and of your family. Yeah, if you happen to have one, that's right. like, but it, it is, I've never been on crack yeah. funny enough, but like I, I equated to being a crack feed. Like you just need that high, you know? Well, I've been bath, a lot bath of salts. That's what we're talking about. Bath salts. <laughs> yeah. 
No, um, no, uh, I'm with fantastic. you, man. I love how Peach just had to qualify. Funny enough, I've never smoked crack. Never. 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 He... <laughs> just a disclaimer, since it's recording, yeah. I've never done that. Exactly. Right? Just a disclaimer, real quick. I always pay my taxes. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Um, so, but, but white space, you know, what is white space? White space is that time in the calendar that you're supposed to be, you know, potentially just taking a wrap off, spending time with your family, get, getting those mental health checks, you know, getting your body right, get your mind right. Uh, and, and embracing, right? That stillness. That to say, what is, how do you, how do you equate success or how do you drive guys to that and motivate them and define success? And I think you can do that, um, with the intensity of training, right? A lot of the things that we've neglected over the years, and I'll just speak, speak from the PJ aspect of things, like PJs can't be good at everything, it's impossible. You have guys that are really good at jumping, you have guys that are really good at medicine, good at ropes. You, you can't be good at everything, despite how awesome you are. Um, it's just a bandwidth issue, right? Because a lot of it takes reps. You wanna be good at shooting, you need to be a dry fire, you need to be at the range. Um, but if you focus on medicine all the time, other things atrophy, right? And so it's that balance. But now we have the ability to kind of refine our capability, make guys way better, sharpen that spear, right? And, uh, you know, focus on the things that we anticipate as, an, as the priorities and, and the mission. And so, you know, there's a lot of opportunity there, man. Like there's an opportunity to motivate guys towards that direction and still get that same sense of satisfaction. When I was in Oki, we used to do hard training out there because it was a bunch of like senior PJs. They were locked on. The standard was very high. I was nervous going to training events with those guys back then. I was like, man, I don't want to mess up. You know, uh, I remember uh, <laughs> uh, we did a, a, we were doing waterworks and I was uh, on boat party. I was in a zone with uh, Chief Biddick. Um, he was a staff at the time. And we're in this uh, zone out there and um, the helo broke. And so we're sitting out there for hours in the water. And so they finally come back out and I screwed something up in the process and he Q3'd me for it. And not, I'll let you ask him what he, what he Q3'd me for, but I got Q3 as a PJ, which means I wasn't qualified. And so I had to pay my penance to get back up. And so there was a standard there, man. Nowadays, well, sorry, my days coming up was, man, we had to get you on the line. So if you messed up, okay, is it, can we overlook it? Yeah, let's get you up and let, you know, you messed this up in training. All right, is it mission essential? Because it's all about, in, you know, that tempo and deploying. And so now, Leaders can be like, man, we hold a high standard for training. We're talking about, you know, uh, if it's, if you're JM in something like better be freaking perfect because you are the jam, the days of being a jam because you need a jam because you need to do a pay jump. And we just had to have guys that could do it. Like, I think those days should go away. I think we should go back to, and if you're the jam, you are the man at jumping. You know what I mean? At, at the unit. If you're the AJM, you are watching his ass and everyone's looking to you guys to set the tempo for everything. And so this could this white space could be really healthy for everybody um, if we can get the insatiable appetite for tempo and results based upon it, how much cast did I drop in this deployment? Did I save someone's life? Like we ask those things, um, and they might come again, but they might come at the the greatest cost. If they do a major combat operation in in China or North Korea, man, dude, those guys are going to have the biggest fight. It's going to be a fight that I, 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 maybe I wasn't ready for, you know? And so um, I, I would say as long as they, they have that in the back of their mind, urgency and, and, the, and the realism of something, you know, big happening, um, they can step up their training game a lot. Well, man, Chad, I could, I could keep going down, 
<laughs> we keep talking about this, but I, I want to make sure that uh, before we kind of wrap it up, like we, we do this with um, basically all our guests and we kind of ask them, you know, what advice you would give to folks that are aspiring to join, whether it's what they can expect on team, what they can expect after, you know, their career or, or whatever, you know, whether it's preparation for ANS, the pipeline, hell, we've been talking about the future fight. So, I mean, you could even go in that way, but, you know, what advice would you give to those folks that are wanting to join or even, even newer guys on team? Yeah. So the, the first question, like, um, you know, come into this, these guys are way more pressing in nutrition. They have workout plans. I just knew I had to swim and run. That's all I did. And, and so I was in Hawaii and I was going to the you know, public pool and I was learning how to swim right, even though I was a surfer. And, uh, you know, I was learning how to run without cramping up and, you know, and falling on my knees like I was by after a mile. Um, and so I came there as a scrawny, un unassuming kid who, if you lined with 80 people at selection, if you lined us all up, there's no way someone would pick me up and said that that's the guy that's going to make it. I would have been in the half that said he's part of part of the 10% that's going to make it. And I approached it as one day at a time, right? So I did, I, I would fight to lunch and then I would fight to get back to my hooch and, and go to bed every morning. Every morning I'd say, I'm going to get to lunch. And then after lunch, I'm going to get past this next event. And I never looked at it like, oh, where, when am I going to go to airborne school? All the guys that talked about it like that are all the guys that quit because they couldn't handle what was in front of them. And it is, man, the split, I think is probably like 60, 40 mental toughness to physicality um, because you can be a stud, but you're going to get broken when, when times get tough and you're in the water. Right. And, and that was my super strength is that the water, I, I was just chilled out in the water, you know, I was calm. And so I kind of used that. I said, okay, this is my quiet time when I was doing drown proofing. It's my quiet time to chill out. Oh, that's uh, nap time. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So, but in the morning time, you know, like that's evals it. on Monday, you know, you do this eval and can I make it through this? And when I did, I celebrated those successes mentally, right? That's important. And I think that for anybody is aspiring to be, you know, join our, our community. Um, like I said, don't be intimidated by your physicality. You got to be strong for sure, but your heart's got to be there and your mind's got to be there. So, uh, there's hope, you know, it, it, not like Captain America, like that kid was, uh, that was really skinny. I don't know if you can be that skinny and still make it through, but um, we have some well, he has steroids too, Chad. Like I let's know. talk about it That's in a real sense. That's the future of like... human performance for special ops. So uh, I might be, uh, hey, real talk, they're putting out uh, the anti-aging pill yeah. next year. I'm in, baby. Right. You thought you had me for, you know, another four years. Joke's on you, my guy, I'm for another That's 10. Right. Give me that pill right away. <laughs> um, so what to expect, you know, uh, Training is top notch. Um, we we circumvent a lot of the system. We get the guys into the best schools and courses right off the bat. Like that's that's a perk, right? Um, you're gonna do heroic stuff, man. Um, you might do it in training. You might save someone's life in training, right? Um, the T room is an environment that I, it you're not gonna ever gonna be replicated on the outside. Being with people that are they're just, I mean, not saying just like you, they're not copies of you, but same humor for sure. You know, that's, <laughs> that doesn't translate to civilians. Um, that, that camaraderie training together all the time and understanding each other's limitations, um, having each other's backs, like those teammates, even the ones you didn't really get along with that much um, are deeper bonds uh, than you're ever going to have another job. Like jobs aren't teams. You know what I mean? You go to a corporate site, you go to a job, it's not a team. 
um, even though I try to make it a team, but you have that dynamic. Um, and then the other piece is training with the, the mindset of you might do this for real. Um, to me, that, that's the hope, right? And our generation got to do it in a, in a really heavy way and it, it costs us a lot, you know what I mean? Um, it, you know, like I'm, I talk about combat and all those things in kind of this glamorous way in the past hour, but uh, combat is hard. It, it comes at a cost. Um, you know, the not just the people that are were, you know were killed overseas, but the people that were injured, injured in training. Um, you know, that's a reality that um, you know we all know too well. So, you know, not all of a combat is fun and pretty. Um, so, but those realities of warfare um, are the things that, you know, kind of always kept me in. Um, and especially as a PJ, and I won't speak for first, I've lived with controllers my whole adult life, but, um, you know, I, the, the noble aspect of laying in the line for somebody else, to me, is the reason I became a PJ. And I got to do that, you know, for real um, in combat. And so, um, it was the noble aspect of PJ. And so, the young kid in the team room who's maybe disenfranchised right now, this thing, I will tell you, man, like, I didn't know 9-11 was going to happen. I didn't know I was going to be at war my entire adult life. I didn't know that. I had no idea. I just, all I wanted in my life was to wear a balaclava and shoot an MP5, SD. And when I came to the 24th, <laughs> I got to do those things. That's and goals. I was, I had never goals. been happier. That's it. You did it. I, actually, I don't want to <laughs> go on too much of a tangent, but I got my first pair of GSG-9s when I showed up to the unit. Yeah. I, I had made it. And um, it was, of all the gifts I've ever received in my life, that was the most important. And I was wearing them and then the soles came off on them and I had to throw them away. And they don't make them anymore. So if Adidas is listening, um, I love a pair. SG9s. SG9s. <laughs> I, can't believe, I can't believe we had to end on such a downer. You had such a good thing going there, Chad. Yeah. And then you just, you took it right into the loss. No, it's, <laughs> I, I, can nines, close, I can close this out. So <laughs> the guys in the team room, it's coming, man. You didn't, you, like what I was saying was, I didn't know what it was going to turn into. I don't either. Um, be helpful, train hard, take care of your brothers. If you're a senior leader, take care of your people like the way you wanted to be treated. Um, and you guys will, will, will come out great on the other side. Um, and I, I talk to a lot of young guys when they're thinking about becoming PJs, um, have these phone conversations with them. And I tell them the same thing, man. Take every day, each day, just incrementally. Um, be mentally tough, take care of your brothers. And um, yeah, man, I think you'll be successful. And if you're not, um, there's lots of other jobs for you to do. You, you can be a controller. Oh, man, the shots are fired. Although, <laughs> oh, I will say it's a statistic. Nobody has ever said, yeah, control was too hard. So I just went to PJ. I'm just saying, I'm just saying. Yeah, facts are facts, man. <laughs> That, 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 this is what happens, Peach, when you have two PJs on the podcast. Thank goodness we finally. Yeah, I can hold. I can hold my own. <laughs> yeah, they're just words. They don't yeah. hurt you, right? That's that's the final thing. Words can't hurt you, okay? <laughs> words can't hurt. Chief Chief McCoy, thanks for coming on, man. Chad, we we really appreciate you coming in the team room for us and sharing not only your perspective but your experience over you know more than twenty years of of what you've done, which is you know nothing to sneeze at. We really appreciate you coming and talking about your experience leadership and how we're looking for that next generation. And, you know, I, I really love that you touched on that this new generation of guys and gals is coming up as everybody's hard, everybody's capable, and we just have to find a different way in order to get them to that operational success that we tried so hard to find in here. So from, from me, from Peaches, I'm sure Trent and Brian feel the same way. 
thanks so much for coming on, man. We really appreciate um, um, you coming on. So again, appreciate you coming into the team room. Everybody that's out there, thanks. Follow the YouTube channel. Hit that like and subscribe button. Go ahead and ask us any questions. If you have anything for, uh, for I'm assuming you don't have social media because you're just too cool for it or do you, or, or is there something you want to put out? Or you well, just I'm the older generation, so I have a Facebook account. Yeah, I don't have oh, this in so. a while. Me and I'm still crew, using MySpace. Yeah, MySpace too. That's, that's coming up. Oh my God, if I'm not on your top MySpace eight right now, like Bitcoin, I'm going right? to be so bad at you. Yeah. Tom in there? Tom in there? Yeah. Oh, man. Well, once again, thanks a lot. Thanks to everybody that's out there. If you're trying to earn each breath, hit us up on that uh, DM. Hit us up on any one of the platforms that we got out there, and we really appreciate it. So train hard. We'll see you next time. Light up.